Hello, hello, I'm Aaliyah, and this is Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. In today's episode, I will be making an attempt, keyword is attempt, to redeem the Halloween selection on Netflix, so we'll see how that goes. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, so that means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad, even though my mom never heeds those warnings, sorry about the cuss words, mom, may want to bow out. Yes, I'm 26 years old and I do not cuss in front of my parents. It's a strange moral line that I've drawn myself. I will definitely call my mother a dildo, but I won't like drop an F-bomb in front of her. Everyone's got have a code guys everyone's gotta have a code in my last episode it was kind of a barbecue situation going on and i really wanted to find like good quality recommendations i really did so i completely combed through netflix after recording my last episode and i'm pretty confident that i have watched almost everything there is to watch halloween related on netflix that didn't look like a dumpster fire or something that i've seen a thousand times like yes i know silence of the lambs and house of a thousand corpses is on there and those are classics. I just wanted to give something new because who cares about something they've already seen. Netflix will pump the classics that everyone wants to watch on the front page anyway. So it's kind of like, yeah, we know it's there. We know Poltergeist is there. And while I was on that hunt, I found number one, some great titles that were kind of creepy, but more strange than anything. And I think they are more appropriate for a future episode I have planned. I think it should be coming like late November, I want to say. My voice got really shrieky. Sorry about that. I may have a man voice, but I'm really glad I don't have like a shrieky deaky voice. No offense to you if you have a shrieky voice. I'm sure it's really cute. But anyways, I found some very bizarre titles. I also found, I don't know how to explain it, probably my new favorite Halloween film. House of a Thousand Corpses takes the cake for my favorite all-time Halloween film. That and like Halloween Town because I'm a millennial and Halloween Town is basically embedded into our soul. So yeah, I've found some bizarre titles, I've found some really great titles, and I still found some shitty titles. So there will be a sprinkle, maybe a heavy pouring of more roast. You'll just have to listen and see. Did the good outweigh the bad? That is the question. Today I am drinking a can of Cafe Bustelo's ready-to-drink coffee beverage in dulce de leche. This is actually really good. It's sweet, but it's strong, which is my kind of coffee. I've never seen these before. I found it in Walmart for like $1.39 maybe. It was super cheap. I like the regular Cafe Bustelo espresso coffee, so I figured this would be really good. I just didn't expect it to be this good. I enjoy this more than I enjoy the Starbucks ready-to-drink beverages. I think that's what they could all be called. And this is so much cheaper. Even the ready-to-drink beverages from Starbucks are like $4.99. Okay, maybe not that much. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but it's still more expensive. Knowing me, though, I'm still going to spend that $7.99 on my Stabby's coffee, you know, from the drive-thru because (laughs) I hate myself. It's fine. Everything's totally fine. I'll be bankrupt, but at least I'll have a belly full of overpriced coffee. Getting right back to the Netflix, the first title that I'm going to talk about Surprise the hell out of me, and no pun intended there. You wouldn't fully understand that alleged pun until after I explain what this is about. So yeah, We Summon the Darkness is what this title is called. Police came across another grisly murder scene last Ooh, night. Wait, I want to hear that. The walls covered in satanic symbols. Another gruesome ritualistic murder claimed the lives of six people. 
painful last night following a heavy metal concert that local religious groups were protesting. This is supposed to scare other people, not us. So you ready for Soldiers of Satan? Cheers to a night that we're going to remember for years to come. Girls, be careful now. There's a lot of evil out there. You don't think we can fend for ourselves? Now, I'm not totally sure if I was blown away because I had severely low expectations or because this movie was actually wicked good. If I'm being honest, I think it's probably somewhere in between. It is 100% a great watch. It takes place in 1988 and we are immediately thrown into all of the cringe you can imagine a horror film surrounding the heavy metal scene in the late 80s would have. We follow three girls on their way to a Soldiers of Satan show. There's the sort of ringleader, Alexis, who immediately gave me the poser vibes. Then there's Val, the eyebrows and the wild child of the group. Finally, there's Beverly, who is sort of the quiet, cool girl of the group. At least she seemed cool to me. And we learned she has an affinity with sugary treats and ring pops. The ringleader, Alexis, reminds me a lot of Nancy Downs from The Craft. Great fashion and sort of that don't fuck with me attitude. The fashion was great, but the dialogue and the slang used at the beginning of this film was horrendous. Looking back, I think that was purposeful, but still, it was definitely something to get over in the beginning. It's hard to explain this film with any serious detail because there is a massive twist very early on. I'm going to read the Netflix description here. A night out at a 1980s heavy metal concert hits a grisly note when new friends find themselves in the middle of a satanic murder spree. I really loved the concept of this film and I loved the tone. I think the tone was my favorite part of the whole entire thing. I've been trying to think of how to explain the tone and if I had to dig into my brain and put it into words, it would be as if Devil's Rejects and Scream had a baby. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the only way I can explain this. I thought Alexandra Diodario, I I think that's her name, uh, did a fantastic job acting. The way she played her role, I thought was absolutely spot on. Also, Johnny Knoxville is in this film. And I mean, Johnny Knoxville is Johnny Knoxville. He has come a long way. I feel like the best acting is when someone can really master the less is more approach, which he did perfectly. The entire cast had such good chemistry and they played their parts so well, but those were the two standouts. We Summon the Darkness is definitely a thriller, but it's got this campy lightness and it's definitely one of my favorite watches for Halloween on Netflix. The next title, Hush, is almost the exact opposite style of We Summon the Darkness. Once he is in this house, it is over. He is bigger, stronger, and faster. He's got the advantage. He can hear you. I can't run. I can't hide. And we can't wait. You go outside. You are dead. Too many endings. Which means there's only one ending he won't expect. Can't run, hide, or wait. What does that leave? In the film Hush, a deaf-mute writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life must fight for her life in silence when a mass killer appears at her window. There were so many things that I enjoyed about this movie. I really thought the concept was interesting that the protagonist is deaf and mute. That makes it really interesting and more challenging. There's also only about 15 minutes of dialogue in the whole film, but the use of like I don't know how you would say that, like ambiance and sound effects and like the eerie noises in the background was done so well that it almost worked better than dialogue. The way they used dialogue to express her inner thoughts, like her inner monologue was really great. I enjoyed that. That's what you heard in the audio clip. 
They didn't overdo that. It would have made it less interesting and gave away too much. Katie Seagal did such a good job, even without dialogue. Her body language, the use of her facial expressions, even her breathing I caught on to was just so well done. She could have did that whole damn movie with no dialogue at all. What I enjoyed most about the movie Hush, I'm going to try and explain this very carefully because I don't want to give anything away, was the ending the uh killer's motives his why i thought it was so realistic i can't really say realistic because i don't know the reasons why murderers murder people that sounded weird murder murderers murdering people but i don't understand the why behind that but to me this seemed like a much more interesting turn and i think even as you find out what his motive is and his why it almost makes it even scarier you also don't have to wait very long for the action it creeps up but it's definitely not a slow burn and like i said it definitely has everything else besides the dialogue come to the forefront and everything from the sounds the lighting all of that gives that really dark anxious vibe and they did it so well almost immediately at the beginning of this film you know that it's going to be a dark film tone wise and subject wise And a fun little fact, they filmed this movie in 18 days, and We Summon the Darkness was actually filmed in 16 days. Lesson learned is that you do not need to take a long time to film a really great movie. And speaking of great movies, let's talk about the antithesis of that. Oh yes, folks, we are doing a teensy bit of roasting. 13 Sins, I... Okay, I'm just gonna give you the audio clip for 13 Sins so you can kind of see what we're working with, even though it's a shitty movie. I'm so sorry, but you cannot say I didn't warn you in advance. Hello? Congratulations. You have been selected to take part in a -a one-of-a-kind game show. All you have to do is complete 13 challenges. $1,000 will be instantly credited to your bank account. We will make all your problems go away. Please press 1. Each one is more complicated than the first. Are you ready? There's a maniac out there running wild. You think this is a game? You see, that's the true objective of the game. It shows that anyone can be turned into a monster. I was counting on 13 Sins being a fantastic movie because, well, if I'm being honest with myself, solely because of Ron Perlman being in it. So my expectations were pretty high. The film is basically like a fucked up scavenger hunt conducted through a phone with some mysteriously cheery man on the other end, who to me just sounded like a ringmaster of a circus. Each of the challenges in the scavenger hunt grow more increasingly awful. For example, the first challenge was like swat a fly for $1,000 and then the next one was $3,000 if you eat the fly. Sorry, random, but my cat is like rolling around on my table being an asshole because he's hungry he's like knocking over my decorations he's swatting his tail ragnar do you have something to say about 13 cents oh my god he's so precious he is the most needy cat you could ever imagine he'll like plop himself on my laptop as i'm working he'll plop himself on my notebooks he always needs to be the center of attention that's just who he is and he's not like little he's a big fat cat he's three now he just turned three in july and he's massive but he like does not realize how fat he is. He'll attempt to just like sprawl out on the counter and then just fall off. He's very clumsy and even more delusional about his size. So I'll be here like recording and like controlling the mouse with one hand on my laptop while rubbing his belly. So there's your visual. She's a multitasking queen. 
Anyways, back to 13 Sins. Elliot, the main character, is in severe debt. So he's like, no brainer. I'm partaking in the scavenger hunt because easy money. It's another Saw-esque film with decent suspense and buildup, but it absolutely falls flat at the end. It's poor character development, in my opinion. I think Ron Perlman was Ron Perlman and he did well with the shit he was given, but it didn't hit for me. Maybe this was another case of my expectations ruining my watching because I really did have high hopes and 13 Sins was just so stale. But yeah, I did have a few titles where my expectations were high and it was just so disappointing. It happened again with the series called Haunted, which is a reality show from the producers of The Purge. That sold me right there. It's all about first-person accounts of people who have witnessed supernatural, horrifying, and peculiar events. But what they did with this show should be a crime. I just, I had a hard time believing that anything was real. It is so over the top and overdone that it is laughable. And please don't mistake when I say overdone for exciting and engaging and entertaining because it is fucking boring. They do these crazy reenactments that most of the time aren't even matching up with what the person's talking about, and they get pretty violent and pretty sexual, and when I say pretty, I mean severely. So this is not a let's cozy up and watch a fun haunted reality show on Netflix with the family. It's just garbage. It is such garbage, and it's more traumatizing than anything. It isn't horrifying at all unless you like, you know, past traumas reliving themselves. Yeah, I wasted five hours of my life and I don't want to waste any more talking about this shit show. So I'm moving on. I don't even know where to begin with this next one. By far the strangest, and I do mean the strangest thing I have watched in a very long time is The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell. On the top of a dark and distant mountain, There is a beautiful and talented woman who uses her unique skills to create hauntingly disturbing confections. This is our home, and it's a place where the strange and unusual are safe and welcome. Welcome to the curious creations of Christine McConnell. I do think we should kill him. With kindness. Oh, that takes so long. Okay, so after I saw the description and like the cover art, cover picture, whatever you want to call it, I was like, hell yeah, give me a baking show with like that dark aesthetic vibe. I'm into that, which this is that, don't get me wrong, but it's also just so much more that we don't really need and I personally don't want. For some reason, and this is really rare because I usually don't care what reviews say, but I looked up the reviews first to see if it actually was like a baking show rather than just throw it on. I don't know why. And I quickly learned that this woman has a serious standum and has some serious internet clout or something. And I'm positive that's who was responsible for all of these amazingly glowing reviews. Unless I am totally batshit crazy, which is a very real possibility, but this, this is this wow at the end of the first episode my jaw was on the ground and I was confused and was wondering what the fuck I just watched I'm gonna start with the positives though (laughs) cinematography again fantastic they did such a good job and I loved the quirky little soundtrack that they had going throughout and there's no denying that Christine is so talented she's an artist this shit is 
elaborate. And for me, that's partially where it goes downhill. These are not recipes on Pinterest. This shit is like airbrushing and using isomalt or however you pronounce it. That is beet sugars, by the way. I don't know about you or where you grew up, but in my 26 years on this earth, I have never seen beet sugar at my local grocery store. But again, this woman is obviously very talented. She's making gothic tea sets out of like balloons and chocolate. Easy enough, right? Oh, no, 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 no. You will be using open flames to add embellishments made of chocolate to your teacups and little plates. And her attitude makes it seem so easy breezy. Like, oh yeah, girl, simple ingredients. And cut to five minutes later. She's like, oh, this, this may take a little time. Then it flashes to 537 completed micro chocolate teacups with elaborate designs and embellishments on them. Even that like wasn't the problem. I mean, I grew up watching 30 Minute Meals with Rachel Ray, so this isn't exactly my style. I want something in the realm of possibility for myself when I'm watching a food or baking show, but I could see why just that would be entertaining. That's not the weirdest part about this. Oh, no, 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 no. There are these bizarre puppets with the craziest, corniest dialogue. It's like a gothic, weird version of Sesame Street. And Christine is essentially the Snow White of these creepy fucking puppets. It was all just very weird and very, very confusing. The next title on my list also has me confused and very conflicted. The Haunting of Bly Manor. I have a story, a ghost story. I apologize that the audio is super short. I tried to look up trailers and scenes that would be non-spoiler that had some dialogue and context to them. And they were all just like creepy singing and loud noises like most horror film trailers are. But that's okay. We'll keep it short and sweet. From what I understand, because I've never actually seen The Haunting of Hill House, but I've heard about it. Don't go into The Haunting of Bly Manor with some type of horror film or show expectations because it just won't deliver on that. For me personally, I was okay with that. I like just like overall spooky vibes and Haunting of Bly Manor definitely gives you that. Since I had such a short audio clip, I'm going to give you a brief description I found. A bright-eyed American au pair hopes to make a difference caring for two orphans in a grand English manner, yet the feeling of dread is undeniable. No doubt that's a very vague description, but it's not incorrect. I loved watching this show and the buildup and the mystery and the tense scenes. I loved it all. I found it interesting and captivating with these weirdo twisted kids. And I would say that took a sharp turn around episode five. It was still okay. I was just thinking to myself, all right, confusing, a bit messy, lots of shit happening that I don't understand, but it'll start to wrap up and make sense soon enough. Episode eight comes around. I loved episode eight. That was my favorite episode of this entire series. I loved the narration and the writing was just superb. I even watched it twice. But and however, I loved it on its own. I did not like this backstory for the rest of the show. 
I also didn't think the uh, color scheme was necessary. I felt like that was overdoing the time period message. Like we get it, it was a long time ago, but that's just me nitpicking. The show is just jam packed with stuff and unnecessary information and unnecessary twists and an incredible amount of unnecessary dialogue. And I'm a sucker for dialogue. I love dialogue. I like understanding characters deeper and better, but this was just too much. And the worst part was my favorite part, which I understand why that makes no sense, but it was the backstory. It made no sense in connection to the rest of the story, to me anyway. I loved it as a story on its own, but I could not get over the fact that that's what they chose for the backstory. And once they got deep enough into the show where they started explaining the whys of the supernatural things happening, it almost didn't make any sense. I'm all for ambiguity, but this just didn't do it for me. I was like, but that doesn't make sense. And this wasn't explained. And why did that happen? And when the fuck did that start? And who decided they could do that? And it was just, it was messy. And it all just felt very disjointed. If anything, this was a love story, a few love stories, actually. It was enjoyable and it had the vibes that I wanted, but it just made me decide I don't care to watch The Haunting of Hill House. I'm sure this opinion is making me lose cool points. Maybe I'm alone in all this. Maybe my taste is shit. I said I was not going to watch this next title. I swore I wouldn't, but I did. It's Hubie Halloween. Halloween's your partner. Is he a good guy? Hubie Dubois is the nicest guy in this town. Here is some happy Halloween word searches. You can pass it out to the kids. Thank you so much. As a trained volunteer, I know what it's like when your spooky fun gets out of hand. I heard a voice in the sewer. It's pretty impressive how long he's been a loser. You gotta expect a scare here or there. Call me crazy, but I have not found Adam Sandler funny since Big Daddy. Although I did love Murder Mystery. That was a good movie. What I do enjoy from him is that more mature humor. That's not even me like trying to sound pompous. It's just I feel like he needs a new shtick. The corny accent and the lisp and the puke jokes just don't do it to me anymore. That being said, the rest of the cast of Hubie Halloween was glorious. And there were some heavy hitters in that cast. My favorite, Tim Meadows, Kevin James, who was looking absolutely babelicious with his hair and those glasses, Maya Rudolph, Steve Buscemi, Keenan. It was everybody, which didn't surprise me because it fit the theme of this being Sandler's greatest hits, which is exactly what this film was. If you go into this film knowing that it's just goofy and lighthearted, you'll be thoroughly entertained. So Hubie's not the most popular guy in Salem, Massachusetts, but when Halloween turns spooky, this good-hearted scaredy cat sets out to keep his town safe. I love that it takes place in Salem in the fall when there's not like a pandemic because I hear Salem is shoulder to shoulder crazy right now, so probably not the most ideal place to be. But in any year besides 2020, Salem is probably my favorite place to be in the fall. That is besides on Halloween. I've been in Salem on Halloween and it's pretty cool until the sun goes down and the shit-faced college boys come out, that's when it gets really scary and that's when I peace out. Anyways, I really, really enjoyed this stupid movie. I can't lie. Also really weird, but I noticed that Sandler's love interest 
actress in his films all have the initials VV, like Violet Valentine, I think was her name in this, Veronica Vaughn, Vicky Valancourt, Valerie Varan. So I don't know what that is. Maybe just a continuity Easter egg thing he likes to do. Shout out to that asshole Deli Mike for having the best Freddie Mercury costume. Truly inspiring. Also Hubie's mama, Mrs. Dubois. I feel like she's my spirit animal. I so relate to her and her fashion sense is out of this world. Her and Shaq's character are truly the stars of this film and I won't hear otherwise. Oh my god and Farmer Dan. I think that was his name but that's Lavelle Crawford. That's one of my favorite stand-up comedians ever. Like I said before, this is clearly an ode to Sandler fans with all of his greatest moments and his best acts, I guess you could say. Nevertheless, I enjoyed it and appreciated the tribute to Cameron Boyce at the end. That was really, really sweet. I know he was actually supposed to be in this film. The last title I'm going to talk about is my new favorite Halloween classic. It's The Vampires versus The Bronx. What's poppin', y'all? It's your girl Gloria coming at you live. If you see a kid that's riding a bike two sizes too big for him, that's his little man trying to save the neighborhood. And speaking of saving the neighborhood, what's up with all these missing person flyers? Yo, check out the courthouse. They're turning it into apartments? Y'all know how this starts. Them white people with canvas bags, that's always the first sign. Hey, what you doing down here, bro? It's too late to fight back now. We are going to wipe you out like the vermin. Are. We got vampires in the Bronx. Nobody gonna care that Slim disappeared. Why? Because he's a gangbanger? Nah, homie. Because he's from the Bronx. Like us. There's a lot of things happening in this neighborhood right now. Keep your eyes open. Are you seriously out at night when you know there's a couple of vampires running around? We're gonna need some garlic and some wooden steaks, like, right the hell now. One night with you guys and I already have vampires and thugs trying to kill me. This film follows a group of friends who are banding together to save their neighborhood in the Bronx from vampires. These vampires own a real estate company and are buying out the properties and slaughtering the owners. It's a pretty in-your-face metaphor for gentrification, but it's done so well. I just love this movie so much. Yes, it does have a deeper message, but it is so much fun to watch. It reminds me a lot of Stranger Things. These young actors and actresses are so funny and they have so much great chemistry between them. And the thing I love most about this movie is how they contrast that old school vampire movie style and they do it with a modern twist. They have the old school wooden stakes and vampire motherfuckers that look like an ugly American cousin of Lucius Malfoy. But then they have garlic adobo, which I lost my shit. I thought that was so funny and so clever. This house stands adobo and sasson. I keep my chicken flavorful, thank you very much. The story is fast paced and fun, and it has this adventurous spirit to it that just makes you feel good. Something fun and small I noticed was when Father Jackson, who uh, is played by Method Man, said, those shit stole my Sprite. That was a really cool nod to like his affiliation with Sprite when he did the How High remix. With more fruitier loops than that Toucan Sam, bitch. Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. I love that song. You didn't come here to hear me sing. Nobody, nobody wants that. Anyways, to keep it super simple, because yes, this is a simple movie. And yes, I'm about, I think like 26 minutes into this podcast and I don't really want to go over 30 minutes. It's not like it needs some big drawn out explanation. It's a perfect Halloween film. It makes you feel good. It has a good message. It's got great acting. It's absolutely everything I wanted in a Halloween film. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate each and every one of you taking time out of your day to listen to me bitch and moan about Netflix. To answer the question of 
did Netflix redeem itself with its Halloween selection? I would have to say no, unfortunately. I think that they are doing better. I see even now my phone's been going off while I've been recording of more things being added. So hopefully they will be better. But even the great films that I have found mixed with the classics that are on there, they just don't do it for me, I'm afraid. That being said, I did have a lot of fun watching these and coming up with ideas and thoughts and opinions. So I'm not mad at it. I don't regret taking weeks of my life to go through the Halloween selection. That's okay. It was very well worth it. That being said, I think I'm going to take a break next week from the Halloween themed episodes. I do have one more Halloween themed episode planned. Uh, I think it's going to come out on the 29th and it is from a different streaming platform. I've been working really hard on that one for a while. It took a lot of work, a lot of research, I guess you could say. I mean, it's just watching movies and shows and writing notes, but it was a lot to comb through. So next week's episode will be Netflix-based, but not Halloween-based. And then the episode after that, right before Halloween, will be Halloween-based but not from Netflix, so I hope that's okay with you. I'm fully aware the name of the show is Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity, but ever since I had the idea for this show, I knew I wasn't just going to stick to Netflix and I wasn't just going to stick to coffee, but that's going to be the majority, like the home base. So yes, there will be other drinks besides coffee, mostly alcohol or just fancy drinks I decide to make, and I will be branching out into other streaming platforms, but I see Netflix always being the focus and coffee always being the focus. The only thing that will not change is me questioning humanity, but somehow QH just doesn't have the same ring as NCQH. Anywho, this is getting to be way too long. I think I'm almost at 30 minutes, so I'm going to wrap this bad Larry up. Be sure to follow the pod on Instagram at NCQHpodcast. I post updates for future episodes, also what's new on Netflix and a few Starbucks secret menu recipes and things of that nature. I would also like to share a website for Black Lives Matter resources. The website is pb, p as in Peter, b as in Bob, dash resources.com. There you will find podcasts, books, movies, media profiles of everything pertaining to the Black Lives Matter movement. You will also find petitions, numbers to call, emails to reach out to, tips for protesters, bail and arrest resources, lists of black, queer and trans organizations to support, and a list of action items to support and educate yourself on the black trans community. There are also links to bail funds, direct action, memorial funds, black businesses, and more. And they also have beautiful tributes in honor of those who have lost their lives at the hands of white supremacy, police brutality, and injustice. Black lives still matter. They will always matter and they have always matter, regardless of whether or not it's still trending on social media. Thank you again for listening and for supporting. Stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. 